happy birthday, Messiah family. There's something about birthdays, isn't there? Cake, ice cream, presents, what's not to love? Except as you begin to have more and more of them, especially those ones ending in zeros and fives, well, we begin to reflect a little more about what birthdays mean. And each birthday becomes not just a commemoration of what has come before, but also a turning point, a chance to shift direction, to renew relationships, to invest in new ways, and to recommit our lives for a place and a purpose. And today is just such a turning point in the Messiah family. We are celebrating 68 years of ministry 68 years of changing the world one community at a time with Winter Garden. Now, Evie asked me the other day, Mommy, do buildings have birthdays? And I hope you all know that today is not about a building. The first Church of the Messiah worship service was held by a borrowed priest in a borrowed building. And looking around the room, I don't even think any of us were there. But that's precisely the point. Those faithful few had a vision that Winter Garden was growing and changing, and it needed its own Episcopal church. Now, I seriously doubt any of those faithful could have envisioned the fruit that would grow out of their faithfulness. Winter Garden has continued to grow and change, and the Messiah family has grown with it. And each year, we are faced with a turning point a chance to reflect on what God has done here and what the Messiah is asking us to do next. And this is actually the same turning point that the disciples are facing in the gospel today. Everything before that's happened today in Mark is an account of Jesus's public ministry. Everything Mark has told us up to this point is leading us to this moment of public recognition of who Jesus is. The healings, the miracles, the feedings, and the teachings, all of it has been leading to this point. And now we have the hinge, the turning point, the defining moment that Mark will spend the rest of his gospel account explaining and if we're honest, we will spend the rest of our lives figuring out what does Christ as the Messiah mean? Who do people say that I am, Jesus asks. Now, some say a prophet. Some say John the Baptist. And this was significant because Jews in Jesus' day, they'd stopped believing that God had sent prophets like he did in the Old Testament. So the people who are saying that Jesus is a prophet are taking a radical step in faith, that God is speaking to humanity directly right here and right now with this man. But it's not a radical enough step. Now, the people who are saying that Jesus is John the Baptist or Elijah, well, they're saying that God has brought back someone from the dead because their message and their work in preparing of the kingdom of God was that important. Again, believing that God has raised someone from the dead is a radical step in faith, but it's not far enough. 
Now, last week, we heard the story of Jesus healing a blind man, and that was no accident of editing, because today we see how the theme of blindness carries over. The people who are following and encountering Jesus are half-sighted. Jesus is asking not just, who do people say that I am, but also, who do you say that I am? And Peter, for a moment, gets it right. He proclaims, you are the Messiah. And Jesus responds, don't tell anyone. Because for me to be the Messiah means that I'm going to suffer and die. And three days later, rise again. And here is where Peter gets off track and reveals his own blindness. Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. And we think, oh, that's just Peter telling Jesus, oh, no, my Lord, that can't be. We love you too much. We'll never let that happen. That is not what Peter was doing. The word Mark uses is rebuke. And it is the same rebuke, the same verb that Jesus used to call out the evil spirits from those who are possessed. Peter is honestly comparing Jesus' prophecy as something uttered by an unclean spirit. And Jesus, in return, rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan! How embarrassing, how crushing for Peter to not only find out that the Messiah he'd been waiting his whole life for was not going to be the conquering king he'd envisioned, but also to be scolded by Jesus and called Satan. Now, Satan here is not literally referring to the devil. It's not using the proper name of Beelzebul or any of the other names for the evil one. The word here translated as Satan is also a meaning of adversary, enemy, or opponent. And honestly, I think this is worse. Because what Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, your insistence that I not suffer, that I not die, that I be the Messiah you wanted, that insistence has made you an adversary, an enemy to the work that God is doing. Jesus doesn't get caught up in his own PR. He's not wrapped up in the excitement of a public ministry going well. Jesus understands and rises above the popular expectations, and he will not yield, not even for Peter, the rock on whom he promises to build his church. You see, most of us modern readers, we see this as sort of the ultimate smackdown and insult. Get thee behind me, Satan, because it's, it's a really awesome saying. And some of us are guilty of saying it ourselves when someone doesn't, does something we don't like. But yet Jesus is really the only one who can utter this phrase. Because the command to get behind me is an order given to Peter. Not to get away, not to leave, not to be forsaken, but rather it is a command to fall back in line. For Peter to get back into his proper place, to rejoin the other disciples, to once again align himself as a learner. Because being a disciple means learner. And to once again follow and learn from the way 
the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan, is nothing more than a turning point, an invitation to reorient lives. Jesus is looking at Peter and looking beyond Peter to all of us and is saying, you've been working at cross purposes with God. You've set your heart and your life on ways that are not my ways. This isn't what I want for you. And if you keep it up, it's not going to work out well. You have been a Satan, an enemy, an adversary to the work of God. You're following human wisdom, wants, and desires, and it's leading you astray. But Jesus doesn't cast Peter out like he did the demons he rebuked. Instead, he invites Peter in, back into right relationship with him, to get behind him and follow him. Unlike the other criminals and political upstarts, for Jesus, the cross is not coming because of a bad lifestyle or worldview. For Jesus, the cross comes because of his commitment to the kingdom of God, which is breaking in and making all things new. This is the essence of what the good news is of Christ's being the Messiah. It is the announcement and the ushering in of the long-awaited kingdom of God. For 68 years, the Messiah family has continued to participate in this inbreaking of the kingdom of God right here in Winter Garden. Jesus told his followers, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. For 68 years, the Messiah family has been bearing fruit by drawing people into deeper relationship with God. We've seen lives transformed, children fed and raised, widows and poor clothed, and houses built for the homeless. And if you look back to Genesis, you can see what God wanted for humanity. He wanted them to be his intimates, his friends. He wanted them to be vocationally productive and to serve in neighborly love. As in the garden and now, God wants us to be his friends, to walk with him. But God also calls us into this vocational productivity. He called Adam and Eve to be fruitful stewards. And through a life oriented on Jesus, he is calling us to live the life we were intended for, to be stewards of the kingdom. And we do this by using our labor, both paid and unpaid, in the community as a contribution to God and his creation and offering back a portion of the economic fruit of our labor to the church. We're not instruments, pawns, or tools in this age-old battle for good and evil. Our worth is intrinsic in our very being as people created as image bearers of God. And we are called to see and respond to our fellow image bearers in neighborly love. Please don't mistake the Messiah's way as just a simple division of household chores so that the church runs better. It is not that. It is rather an invitation to set aside things that have kept us at cross purposes with God and a chance to renew our commitment to use our labor, money, time, and talents 
working with and for the Messiah, for the good of ourselves, for the good of our families, for the good of our community, and most importantly, for the good of the kingdom. The Messiah's way asks you how you will love God, love your neighbor, and love one another. And like Peter, we are going to get it wrong. We are going to confuse our wants and desires with God's. We may even get scared and run away for a time. Rather than taking up our cross, we may, like Peter, deny Christ. But like Peter, we too have a turning point, a chance to take up our place as a follower of the way, the truth, and the life. Following the Messiah's way is our yearly invitation to, like Peter, again and again, reorient our lives to better learn what it means to have Jesus as our Messiah. Please don't miss it. <laughs>